All right, good morning. Uh, it's great to see everybody. I wanted to quickly this morning um, talk about a subject that I know everybody struggles with and that's onboarding um, and what that means to your company, um, why it's a big deal. Um, and to really, to really start it off, you know, I think about it as first impressions. Um, like anything else, you know, the initial interactions that you have with a new employer are extremely important. So, you know, being able to connect with them, whether it's in person or virtually, um, and how you do that and what tools and, and expectations you set are, are a big deal. And they really set the tone for the rest of the relationship. So, you know, how they onboard, how difficult it is for them to onboard, how many touch points you have um, in the process, um, you know, points where you miss it, um, how you deal with that if you have technology issues. All those things are um, kind of shape up that employee's experience on the front end. And some of those will stick with them, you know, forever. Uh, I've, I was in the payroll business for, for years and we used to say, however the, the implementation goes is gonna be a direct, um, is gonna directly impact the, the entire relationship with that client. And I think it's the same thing. You, you might have 10 great years with a client, but if their onboarding was awful, um, as soon as something goes wrong 10 years later, they're going to immediately say, well, my implementation was awful. Um, so I think it's the same thing um, when it comes to employees um, and the importance around onboarding. I don't think you can really um, stress enough. Okay. Aaron, like how many, how many companies out there, in your opinion, you know, don't onboard or don't take it serious or, 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 or whatever. You know, I work with a lot of owners that just quite honestly in the past, don't put a lot of focus in it. Yeah, no, I think, I think the majority don't, this is really one of those instances where you can separate yourself. Um, you know, a lot of them, you know, get the, they get the I nine paperwork. They, they send them a, um, they send them a, a handbook and, you know, benefits info and that's it. Um, they don't ease them in. They don't set up, you know, critical conversations with directors. And, you know, they just kind of, they really just wing it. Um, and I really do think that it impacts their relationship. More than anything, it's that when, when an employee starts a new job, they, they are going to wonder, like, how big of a deal they are. Like, right. who's going to take the time to talk to me? Who am I going to interact with? And if you just throw them in and do the um, the sink or swim kind of thing, you don't really touch base with them. They just don't feel good about it. Um, and I think that's where you're going to see a lot of your first year retention. Um, you're going to see those numbers, you know, are is going to decline just because they don't feel like they they mean that much because they can tell you didn't spend a lot of time on it. Right. Okay. And just all also. You know, I, I know just onboarding, it's kind of interesting. I've got a client right now and um, they are trying to migrate out of a role, right? Or one of the owners is migrating out of a role and actually plugging somebody else in and they just want to unwind. 
And it's a real struggle for them to even map that out and try to figure out like what it is they need to do. Why is that such a challenge for people, do you find? And is there a good rule of thumb that says, hey, here's what should be included in onboarding, number one, or number two, how lengthy should an onboarding be? And, and could it vary per role? Yeah, um, so, you know, there's a couple of things there. It is really difficult, you know, when you're trying to take somebody, especially on a senior level, out of a role because there are so many things that aren't day-to-day things. There are monthly things. There are quarterly things. There are the random things that they've, you know, that they do that they don't remember as part of their essential job functions. Right. It's always tough. And I, and I think if you have the, if you have the opportunity to slow play that um, and you do a transition with the, the next individual is best it doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes you just want that person gone so you can start over because maybe it's a bad situation. So I think you got to just have a lot of grace with the people coming in. You're going to drop stuff. Things are going to get missed. So as much as you can define the role, the job duties, the day-to-day things, the better. Um, So I think that's one thing. Um, You know, when you're bringing somebody on, Onboarding to me is really a first year thing, um, but I think that they will know if you did not plan for them. So I think you've got to be really clear about planning the first 90 days. Um, you know, I do something now um, at my company that's a 30, 60, 90. We're going to do a 30 day checkup. We're going to do a 60 day checkup and we're going to do a 90 day checkup. Then we're coming back at six months and then we're doing a year. And so I think part of that is, is that first 30 days is pretty critical. They're, they're, they're pretty much like setting all of their, all of their habits, their day-to-day habits, what their days look like. Right. Am I going to just screw off in the, you know, until 10 AM, um, you know, or am I, am I going to peace out at three and that's going to be my day because I can manage it or whatever. So it's like, there's a lot of things that are getting defined in that those 30, 60, 90 days. And then also make sure that they know what those outcomes are. So, um, you know, for me, it's like, Hey, you know, I walk into a new, new scenario, a new scenario. What, you know, what, what's a huge win. If in 90 days you look at me and you say, man, we did a good job with this hire. Like what would make you say that? And I think that that's getting real about the role and what's going, you know, what you want from it. And again, it, it, all of this is going to come down to pre-planning and it's a, it's a headache. I mean, I, I don't want to pretend like this is probably my least favorite when somebody, you know, even in the HR space and me personally trying to plan out somebody's first two weeks, what they're going to do. That's tough. It's not easy right. they need to talk to, you know, cause I'm an impatient person anyway. So I'm like, all right, it's not, it doesn't take, how long does it take? You know, how long does it take for them to learn this job? So I think it's really sitting down and being realistic and, and mapping out 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, putting some things on paper. It doesn't have to be super detailed, but some high level bullet points. Hey, we'd like for you to have this by this time. Um, and, you know, and it all depends on the complexity. Are you setting goals or what to do and, and say that 30 day checkup, you know, give me give me more a, a little bit more depth of what yeah, you're so- I think it's um, it can be things as hey you know in 30 days I want you to have meet I want you to have met and started developing a relationship with every director 
Okay. I want you to understand how to manage time in the time system. You know, it can be very specific or it can be more broad. Hey, I want, I want you to get an understanding of what the three top initiatives should be in your area. Okay. It can be, it's, I think it's gotta be a mix. Um, you know, if it's a very technical job, Hey, I want you to be able to, you know, mix concrete, be able to lay brick and do with this, you know, these three things on your own without supervision in the first 60 days. I mean, yeah. you can get really, really specific depending on the role or if it's a bigger role, it's like, Hey, I want you to understand the executive team. I want you to have one-on-ones on your calendar that you initiated those kind of things. So it all depends on the role, but you got to sit back and think in your head, what does a perfect scenario look, look like? And then walk that back. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so when you like, will you try to vary the onboarding per role? Meaning is say a senior executive different than say, I don't know, a customer service rep or a, or a salesperson? Oh yeah. So, you know, on a, on a line level type role, I'm saying, Hey, your, your onboarding should be a lot more technical. Yeah. You have meetings and you have them meet maybe their director, you meet the CEO in those first couple of weeks, just as a warm welcome to talk about core values and the mission and whatever. Those are very light. Um, Sometimes those employees don't even want that, you know, it's scary to them, but some, you know, some exposure to your C-suite, things like that. But you're setting, I mean, you're, you're trying to teach them how to do day-to-day things inside their job. Um, when you talk about an executive level, that you should make that a slower process. You should have very intentional meetings set up. You should have casual meetings set up, drinks, you know, settings that are inside the office, outside the office, because they want to get to know that person. They're evaluating internally so many other things other than just their ability to do the job. So I think that you definitely have to look at those things differently. You're trying to, a lot of times in a senior level role, you're also trying to sell that person, that they're the right person, that your other leaders will, you know, fall in line and, you know, respect who they are and what they do. So I definitely think it's different. You don't expect a senior level leader to be in the weeds in 30 days and know how to do all this stuff. Um, You just don't. Okay. All right. And another thing that I've seen people do a lot is when they start to hear, oh, onboarding is important. Um, I, I see a lot of owners or senior people actually just honestly pawn somebody off on somebody else and right and just say, hey, go follow uh, Jim today and just shadow him and, yeah. and, and, you know, do that for a couple of days. And then, you know, and that's that's it. So following Jim around um, in the field uh, is their onboarding strategy. Yeah. Why is that either good or bad? And what could be the is there a, a benefit to having them shadow employees at some times? What are your thoughts? Yeah, You know, look, it's the easy it's the easy route. Right. And I get it. it is hard when you are making big decisions and you're working on your business to take time out to try to explain and sometimes explain an entire industry and what you've done for 20 or 30 years. It's really difficult to try to sum that up for a new person that you don't even know is going to last. Right. So I understand that. I do think you need to have, I mean, you need to find your most successful people in the organization, the ones you want them to model after and you have them sit with them. Don't have them sit with a C, B player, not even a B player, in my opinion. Um, 
you want them to learn from the best people that you want, you know, those people that we all say, God, if I just had two more of them, I'd be killing it, you know. Now, that also means, you know, a lot of times those players, too, can go rogue. So you got to be careful because um, I've never been one to, like, love the lines. So, you know, they're all a little blurry to me. So it's, you know, you got to make sure you're careful there. But I think you also got to be good to those people. And if you give them a newbie for a week and say, hey, we want in the shadow, that's also that's also a burden on them. So yeah. I think you got to be careful about it. Be intentional. Maybe you say, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna. I want you to spend an hour with them every day, and then you're gonna come back to me. and We're gonna talk about it. Yeah. Um, you know, give them a project. Have them have them jump in on a project that's new. That maybe an outside perspective would be positive. Um, yeah. I think there's a mix of things you can do so they're not just sitting there, right? You know, riding in a car with somebody or, or tagging along with somebody sitting on their phone. Right. Uh, you know, make it, make it a little more engaging. Yeah. You know, one thing I, and I agree with you, it can be a, it can be a burden specifically if they're not asked, right. They look at like, Oh, great. You know, get, get the new guy or new gal. One way that I have found to um, counter that is actually come up with some sort of mentoring program where yeah. actually, you know, people are actually asked to mentor and they have to actually either, you know, they have to want to, right? And I've kind of, I'm curious on your thoughts with this. I, I, I've, I've painted the picture of the people like, well, you have to kind of interview for this. Uh, it, you don't, you're not required to do this, but if you do do this, it's going to be viewed positively in future promotions or, you know, pay increases. This will go in your file of positive perspective because you're helping the company out. Yeah. And it, bec it, it becomes more, I think they take it more serious at that point. It's like, wow, I'm a mentor. I got chosen. Wow. This will, this looks positive. Others are going to look at me. And then also put some structure in place as well. Like, right. I'll put, like what's expected from, from the mentor, what's expected from the mentee, right? Yeah. And put some structure in place as well. I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts of that and maybe the importance or how that could play in onboarding. Yeah, you know, I think it's something that's really come alive in the last few years. Um, yeah, you've got like, you've got a mentor, maybe you've got a peer level mentor. Sometimes you have like an executive sponsor, depending on who the person is. I think those things are all great. And I think, again, you have to take it seriously because, you know, the the rank and file employee will take it seriously. Right, right. It's a big deal to them. So you've got to find people that are good at that and that you can set up a structure that that works. And, and I wouldn't, again, with those, I wouldn't make it, oh, you're going to, you know, every week you're going to meet for an hour. No, every month you're going to meet for 30 minutes or you're going to do an offsite, you know, lunch. I think you've got to be realistic with it so you can do it uh, right. so and execute it. But I think, yeah, set guidelines on what you talk about, talk about their performance, talk about um, where they want to be, you know, who they want to be. Um, you know, I think those are all really big things um, to do. Super helpful for, you know, career pathing, succession, all those things. So I think if you can swing doing something like that, it's really helpful. Okay. Okay. And still, it, 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 it's amazing to me because, you know, we've, I don't know, I think we've, we're through the great resignation. We still have lots of hiring issues and employee issues. And you and I have discussed it. It's still, it's amazing with all the terminations and everything. Um, unemployment definition kind of messes things up there. But you look at unemployment, you look at uh, uh, people being let go, 
and still there's a great great need to go hire the right talent. It's really challenging to find the right talent. With all those dynamics, a lot of employers still underestimate, you know, onboarding correctly. Um, I'm curious if you have thoughts around turnover and engagement tied to not onboarding employees directly, right? And and I agree with you a hundred percent that I think people get lazy. It's a it's a it's a second thought. You you kind of a lot of people put themselves in a mindset. Oh, I've hired them. They're mine now. They don't view it that way, but there's nothing else they need from me. I'm paying them. They just got to do the job now. Um, but what are some of those things like, hey, can you can, do you have any stats or, or opinions on just, uh, you know, just engagement or longevity of employees tied to onboarding? Yeah. So, you know, it's like anything else. It's a first impression and it's also you're setting all the expectations. Right. Anytime that I've seen an unsuccessful hire, it's because the company's expectations were different than the employees. Yeah. So yeah. You're confirming all those things in that onboarding period, in that honeymoon right. period. That's the best. And a lot of most of the time, that's the best it's going to be. They're excited. You're excited. You know, and then the one thing happens and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I made that. You know, you start questioning or whatever. So I think taking the time to spend in that first little bit to give them the best opportunity. I mean, the cost to hire somebody is so expensive. The cost to rehire someone is crazy. So it's like, man, you owe it to yourself and them to give it your best shot to really put the effort and you know make sure, hey, look, let's try to make this work. So, you know, again, engagement is such a it's almost like the, it's like the next culture word. You know, everybody's talking about engagement. How do you measure it? You know, whatever. But, you know, I will tell you that if you do the, if you do that initial, if you do that initial onboarding correctly, you are setting yourself up for a much better situation than if you just tossed them in and said, Hey, you know, good luck, you know, um, you know, let's see what you can do. Yeah, right. that works for some people. Some people like that. Um, I'm one of those people. I'm like a sink or swim type of guy. Like I, I'm like, all right, it's game on and let's go. Um, but if I didn't have touch points along the way, I'd be like, why am I doing? Why am I doing this? Right, right. I think it's human nature, right? I mean, oh, even, yeah. even though I like to, I, I'm a, I'm an individualist in a lot of my testing and everything, and and I can be isolated and and do my job and I'm a, I'm a results type of guy and everything, but, you know, I think I'm pretending to say that I don't like that touch point period periodically. Right. And yeah. still like that. Uh, and I think a lot of people underestimate that, you know, it's, it's interesting and I'll avoid some things here for confidentiality reasons. Right. But um, you know, there, there's a client of mine, which you're aware of that actually was uh, recently uh, trying to hire a controller actually. And uh, we, uh, the, the offer did not stick, uh, but but you, you might find this interesting. After one week of being at the other place, they're actually quitting and coming to work for my client. So uh, so it, you hit expectations. We're, we're digging into that, but something got there and really stank because yeah, you yeah. know that individual, high integrity individual and everything, and uh, either onboarding wasn't right or it wasn't the same internally as it was externally. But for a very conservative controller to to jump ship that quick, 
that just yeah. doesn't happen, right? Yeah. So, um, and yeah. it really ties into proper expectation setting as you hit, uh, and also, you know, that onboarding plan, right? Because yeah. look, if, if you are, um, if you have troubles inside internally, you, you need to you need to expose that in the interview process and kind of make them aware of all the uh, all the bad stuff because if they see it once they get in they're going to leave anyways. Yeah, they they know that it's not all great, and a lot of companies I think are nervous to say those things and want to just surprise them when they get in. And you'll get you have a lot more success if you're just real about it. Say, hey, look, we've got these things that are going well, but these things we're really struggling with. And that was obviously that scenario. Yeah, I actually heard about that last night. Um, <laughs> which is interesting, you know, but what I'll tell you right now, the company was not probably the reason why that decision was made or why they reached out. It was because of the people that he interacted with. I'm sure is yeah. why. Yeah. Um, but he probably got in and things already immediately didn't align with what those people had said. So, you know, again, it's expectations. You have to set the expectations. Hey, you know, we want you to come in and do this job. We know you'd be great at it, whatever. These are these are the positives. These are the struggles we have. And this is going to be hard. Yeah. If you do that, then I don't walk into a scenario thinking everything's rosy and I'm going to work a 40 hour week. Yeah. If I walk in and know, hey, you know what? This is more of an eight to six and no lunch type of job. I know that going in because it's healthcare, because it's something else. Then I know that. And I yeah. don't have this moment where I'm telling my wife, oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, I can't meet you for lunch. Yeah. Or no, you know, it's all those little things that add up to, you know, now and everybody has this idea in their mind that they can just go work remotely somewhere. And it may or may not exist the way they thought. Remote right. work is another one of those things that, yeah, it's going to be there, but it's slowly getting clawed back in a lot of places. So, um, you know, it's, it's just another one of those scenarios where just be upfront, just be honest. Yeah. You, don't have to, you don't have to give away the farm but just be realistic with them. Yeah, I mean, there's so many interesting stats out there and I, uh, people are shocked shocked with my interview approach and I'm actually curious on your, your thought process uh, or what you think on this, but you know, generally I get in late in the interview. Generally, you know, there's a phone screen and then the first level manager and then the first level manager generally, they'll fall in love with the candidate. Right. So they fall in love with them and then, you know, they will get to me or a panel or something like that. And it's all been blue skies and butterflies. And I honestly, I come out swinging. I look for red flags. I look to, <laughs> I know this sounds mean. I look to de-skin them and get to the bone. I look to get to the core of, you know, where problems could be and all that. I've had many people tell me like, Man, you're the you're the toughest interview I've ever been in. It's like, wow, I I did not think you liked me, and then I got a job and things yeah. like that. But I actually, and it's just to your point of being transparent. I actually, I, I tell people, and generally after me, they go back to the hiring manager who coddles them, and you know, and so. Yeah. But I generally tell people like, look, uh, hiring mistakes are expensive, right? I heard a stat, and this is about seven years ago from Gartner, said that the average salesperson across any and all industries to hire and, and lose in six months cost the all cost the company nine hundred sixty eight thousand dollars. 
Most of that is in lost opportunity cost, right? So hire the guy, gal, ramp them up, doesn't work, they're gone, go look, recruit, another three months, get them on board, another three months, and start out. I lost a year. I lost yeah, a year. year sales. Yeah. 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 And then a sales manager is nearly three million, right? So I look at I look at it as my job is to talk them at uh, me talking them out of the job or then yeah. convince me of why they're a fit. So I try to get really raw in that. And I'm curious because that just goes back to your expectation point. Is that a good idea? It seems to work for me. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, I do make sure that there's, you know, I, there's the good cops and there's the friendlies yeah. and they get a good taste of the culture before, you know, hammer kin steps in, but what are your thoughts on, on that dynamic? Yeah, I, think, I think some of it's dependent on the role, obviously sales. I mean, that's a, that's a cutthroat job anyway. Um, so they've got to be able to be on their, you know, talk on their feet, um, you know, communicate clearly all those things anyway. But I do think, again, I think if you set that conversation up at the beginning and said, Hey, look, I'm going to go right at some things. Okay. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to be very direct. I'm going to be very intentional on in my questions. Um, and I just want to let you know ahead of time, it's not personal, but I'm going to go at some things. And I do think, I mean, again, if you set that expectation at the beginning, you're going to watch them sit back in their chair. They're going to pick their shoulders up a little bit and they're going to be, they're going to prepare for it. Um, so I don't, I don't think that's the best. they're telling the truth, right? No, no, no. I mean, prepare what kind of conversation, yeah. what kind of conversation yeah. is it going to be? Yeah. So like, I'm a big proponent of reading a room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to come in, lean forward, really aggressive with you until I know who you are right. and what you're doing. Yeah. So as soon as I realize, okay, let, let's go. I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit louder. I'm going to be a little more convincing with you, whether somebody else, if you got a lot of people that when they interview, they're looking for that cocky, that they're looking, they're looking for that because they don't like it. They don't want that, but you need that. You need confident, you need direct. So I'm constantly trying to, even as an interviewer, I'm constantly trying to understand the room and who I'm talking to, because you've got caregiver personalities, you've got really direct, and you've got to when you're going through that process, you've got to speak to all of them in their language. Yeah. So, you know, I do think, Hey, I'm going to go right at some things, whatever. Um, let them know. So then they, they know, they realize, Hey, this isn't a fluff interview. This isn't a culture interview. This is yeah. a direct performance-based type thing. So I do think, you know, again, I mean, you can also, you know, if that, if that wasn't a sales interview and that was a customer service interview, they're not going to know how to handle you yeah. because they're, 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 they're well, the based on taking care of the person on the other side of the yeah. phone. So yeah. I, I, most of the time I'm interviewing like executives, right? Exactly. Executives, yeah. Right. And, and I got, and if I smell weakness in them, if I smell yeah. a little bit of blood, I'm going to, I'm going to take them because guess what? In 90 days, they're going to step into a stressful situation or something and they need to know how to show up. So. Yeah. No, and I think those things are fine. Yeah. You know, I think it's again, and everybody's got their own way. I tip, I typically like ease in. I ask a few softball questions and then I go, all right, now let's get at this. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Tell me how in steps you did this. Yeah. Yeah. What was the outcome exactly? And if they don't know, 
I can't tell you how many times, yeah, in the HR and like payroll software business, people would come from an ADP, they would, you know, have all this stuff. And I would, I would literally ask them, I say, okay, Isaac, so tell me how 401k is taxed. They didn't know. Yeah. You know, and I was like, if you're a payroll rep and you've been working for ADP for seven years, how do you not know this? Why do you not know this? Right. So I think, you know, I would do the same thing. I'd go right at certain things, things that I knew they should know. You know, oh, okay, it's it's pre-tax st state and federal, fully taxed, you know, FICA. Right. If they, if they didn't know that, I immediately was like, ah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You have systems that did all of that for you. But when a client has an issue, do you know how to look? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, another thing, Aaron, and you know this as well, a lot of, uh, not even just CEOs and owners, just a, a lot of people in general will, they'll hear a problem and jump to the conclusion of like, oh, well, you know, if only we, we did this, this would fix it. So they Im immediately get into solve or solution mode without understanding what it is they're truly solving and or the solution. Right. So it, what are some what are some things that you see in the organization to help you realize that, you know, I might actually have an onboarding pro problem. Right. What are some symptoms that show up other than, you know, an employee survey and all your employees saying, oh, we weren't onboarded correctly or we didn't know this or whatever. And that may be it. I, I don't know. But are there other symptoms that you see? Um, because I'm starting to think that like, and I've, I've known this, but I'm talking this through with you that owners got to change their mindset and, and not look at this as, um, a hassle, right. Or fluff or whatever, but they've got to start to see it as this is a serious negative financial impact to my business. Right. If I don't do it Right. What are some other things that you see that surface up and you go, man, I, I might have an onboarding problem here. So big thing are when you have really bad culture fits, uh, when you're like, wow, this is, you know, square peg, round hole, like not even when you start seeing you have some of those flowing through more than you thought, when your culture starts to change and not positively, um, that's usually because you've introduced something new, you know, to this body or to the house that there everyone's rejecting um you'll see that you'll see it in your first year and even probably like 90 day retention and it's just that you have not pinpointed like who you're really after um so i think you'll see it in retention numbers early early retention numbers like this guy that we both know that was at a company for a week two weeks um you'll see that you'll see the the attitudes change you'll see the wrong people keep coming in um I think those are the big ones where you'll notice, or if you see people that are, that they're just not progressing, I think, um, or they're just not, uh, they're not becoming productive fast enough. I think those are just little things that you'll, you'll start to realize, Hey, you know, it used to be, you know, you know, from day one to being productive was six months and now it feels like it's taken a year. What, what's going on? Like, what, what are we missing? So I think that's what, you know, people taking longer to be really productive in a role, things like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And some other things that obviously show up too, I'll just add to that is errors, right? Uh, that can yeah. get expensive, right? So 
you know, there, there was a, uh, a guy I worked with not too long ago and he had a, he had a $10 million landscaping business and, um, constantly had errors like irrigation yeah. wasn't put together correctly. Uh, the lights yeah. weren't done correctly. This wasn't done correctly. And he would get irritated. They didn't follow this process. They didn't do that process. So like, how, how were they supposed to know? Right. What well, was the training? You know, they, they, they shadowed Timmy. Okay. Well, how's Timmy supposed to know? Well, he, he shadowed John, right? Well, how's John's right? And, and, you know, there's a lot of these things. I mean, some of these mistakes were thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Can be corrected just by properly onboarding. So I think people yeah. look at like, you know, what sort of errors uh, are introduced or how can I eliminate some errors in my business, right? Yeah. How can I expedite uh, execution, which actually helps me with ca capturing cash or driving revenue, right? Um, you know, well, I, there's so many other, you know, both soft and hard costs that come into play with proper onboarding that I don't know if owners really truly understand yeah. that or appreciate that. So, yeah, I think even like training guys, little cheat sheets, things that you can do that help everybody you know, in that landscaping business. If he had a laminated one sheeter that is like, this is the process, simple, you know, this is how you, those are just little things that you can do to provide people, you know, depending on what it is, if it's an HR cheat sheet, hey, these are the, these are, this is a quick summary of the ADA laws. This is what you don't ask in an interview. Little things that you can give them that you don't have to, I mean, you just have to procure it. You don't have to come up with it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like get some of those cheat sheets available and just, you know, give them something. Yeah, you had another really interesting point. Totally forgot about that. This is not unusual. A, a lot of smaller companies out there will have managers that have never managed before. Yeah. Right? They're starting through the ranks. And I think it was this exact same guy. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, and one of the managers was new in managing and found out that this person uh, got in trouble uh, legally with some something and st started to proceed and asking him about all the details talked to them, <laughs> right? So, so, right, so, uh, and, and uh, I've heard other instances where, you know, they find out that they have, you know, some health issue or other, you know, thing, and they dig into that, like, dude, yeah. you know, you can't do that, right? You know, the exposure to this, right? So right. It's, it's, it's really, it's amazing. If you look at, if you look at 2023, it, are there any things that owners need to do differently to onboard or is just onboarding's onboarding's onboarding, you know, it's basically blocking and tackling that yeah. just a lot of us don't take seriously. Yeah. I just think you got to plan for it. I think you need to have a program and it doesn't have to be crazy, but a 30, 60, 90, a check-in where you are getting involved, where you're seeing how things are going, give them a, give them a piece of swag, have an event for them um you know little things little things like that just make people feel more welcome if you've got tvs in the building plaster their picture on it hey this is our new employee um find ways to get them engaged and part of that family um but i think too the speed through the process make sure they have everything they need the biggest gripe that employees will have is that they don't have the tools or the access they need Right. And so make sure they've got everything they need, plan a little bit ahead of time. If you do that for them, they will recognize it and they will say, hey, you know what? This is different.
yeah, yeah. Not a question for you, Aaron. I feel like I understand this this part and the importance of this quite well, just with what I do and everything. But I'm not an HR pro like you. Are, are there any final questions that I haven't asked you, or anything I might not be thinking about that you're like, hey, you know, keep this in mind, or you should have asked me this? I think in the in the landscape now, be um, be really good remote. That's obviously a big thing that's happening right now. Have those Zoom calls and make sure it's a Zoom call. Make your people attend meetings with their video. I know people hate that, but that connectedness, at least via video, makes a difference. I think there's little day-to-day things like that that will make people part of the team, feel part of the team, um, have people check in. Um, you know, you've got to work a little bit harder. Yeah, remote is great because you can find talent anywhere, but it's it's probably twice as hard to just develop that that culture around it. So, you know, be prepared for that touch points, things like that on video. It will make a difference. But I mean, everything we've talked about, you know, it's speed through the process and set expectations early. Be prepared for them. If yeah. you're prepared for them they will notice it and it will make a big difference for them. Awesome. All right, my man, I appreciate your uh, your advice and your time um, and everything. And once again, it's it's always a pleasure. Sounds good. Thanks. I appreciate it.